0: I roll into this one last announcement Uh, so Michael and I mostly Michael has put together a volunteer banquet for the the worship their leaders Sunday school leaders and the youth group leaders so that's downstairs after dinner so if you help with one of those please come and join us Rick Rick smoked up some meat for us so it ought to be real good there's some other volunteers down there that help too so So I have one question for you. I know this is David's beloved stool. But what would you do if this just all of a sudden lit on fire? Poof. I mean, you would. What if you didn't have a fire extinguisher? I mean, it really would have been fun to have my blowtorch up here and and act like it. Well, I wouldn't really do that. Is there anyone here this morning uh, in the middle of a desert place? I know we're in Lingle, Wyoming. There's no desert here. But in your life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, are you in a dry desert place? Are you thirsty? The sand is filling your mouth and, and you just don't, you just don't know where to go from here. You know, honestly, uh, when, when we do this, we, we have the kids sign up and, and write down some of their favorite songs, and honestly, these songs fit really well with, with uh, the message and the title today of I Am God, not me, but that's the title. Um, I've been saying that, and my kids are like, no, you're not. Well, you're right, I'm not. Uh, but that is, that is what we're talking about, is Jesus being God today. You know, maybe your body is is covered in dust and grime and you are just ready for a break from all the pressure and all the heat. What would it take for you to get out of the desert, the sand and the heat? I mean really, stop and think about that. What what will it take for you to get out of this place of spiritual dryness, this spiritual darkness? In the deep dark place that you may find yourself this morning. Do you feel alone in your deserts? Do your circumstances, whatever they may be, seem impossible to navigate through? I mean, oftentimes the desert seems impossible because it all looks the same. Kind of like the corn maze we went to last Saturday. One of the students thought that they were lost with their group because it all looked the same. Well, it does look the same. It's a corn maze. It's all corn, right? Um... Sometimes life seems impossible to navigate. It all seems like it looks the same. Same song, same story, just a different day, right? Well, 400 years, for 400 years, the cry of Israel rang out in the ears of God. They wanted relief from the slavery of the Egyptians. They wanted to see him work and save them from their misery. So though it's not a burning stool, we come to the desert place with the burning bush would you turn to Exodus chapter 3 with me this morning? Thus a man named Moses who for 40 years earlier had been in royalty in the palace in Egypt. He had seen the slavery and fled because of one of his own was being beaten and then he murdered the one that beat them. But let's let's look at, at, at Exodus 3 to start off with this morning. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses thought that though this bush was on fire, it did not burn up. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? He could start the, and David wouldn't even need a, I mean, the fire extinguisher wouldn't even put it out. That'd be really cool. It'd be cool if I could have come up with something like that, but I didn't. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? Then the Lord saw he had come over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Mosquito Bites. And now... The cry of the Israelites, I'm sorry, I just just can't, you know, can't leave that one alone. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am, has sent me to you. So God used a burning bush for attention, one that was burning, but was not burning up, it was not consumed. It drew Moses in. And what it all comes down to is the statement in verse 14 I am who I am. Which brings us to the I am. We could say the great I am. God, Jehovah, the creator of the universe. I am that I am meaning I am the ever-present one. One words it this way, I was, I am, I always will be. This is what God was saying to Moses. This is who you are to tell the Israelites and the Egyptians that has sent you to them. I am the ever-present one. I was, I am, and I always will be. Now, if we really want to get into the I am or the the statements of of Jesus saying, I am God, which from what I could see never really came out and said, I am God. But it's very clear that he said, I am God. When you look at John 8, 58, if you look at all of John 8, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts, Um, the the Pharisees are challenging his authority as they often did. Uh, They're deep in discussion, theological discussion, just discussion about certain things in life. Jesus has done some healing there. And as they continue to question Jesus, he draws out that whoever obeys his words will never taste death. They say, dude, you must be demon-possessed. Either that or you're a Samaritan. I mean, they don't really obviously think very highly of the Samaritans. We knew they didn't. They just compared him to being demon-possessed. But as we get closer to the end of John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And the very next verse tells us they picked up stones to stone them, or to stone him. The very words that God the Father had told to to Moses, I am that I am. I am the ever-present one. I was before Abraham part of their argument included whose whose son they were and whose son he was and it had to and most of the book of John if not all of it really goes around the idea of Jesus being the I am John oozes out of it verse by verse the deity of Jesus Christ Jesus is telling them I am God It is a bold but very clear statement. Jesus is staking his claim as God, as Jehovah, the creator of the universe. I know so because the next verses tells us that they picked up stones to stone him and they would not have done that except for that he was committing blasphemy in their minds because he was claiming to be the God of the universe. The I am, the ever-present one. I mean, he was from the region of Galilee, the town of Nazareth. They didn't even know where he was born at. Although we have record, he was born in Bethlehem, which fulfilled one of the prophecies. So they're thinking in their minds, there's no way this man is God. How can this be? The question that you need to ask yourself is, do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe his shocking claim to be the God of the universe, the I am? You need more proof, you say. Well, I've got some. Let's look at the numbers. So, in John chapter 8, we see Jesus claiming to be God. We could look to Mark 2 in his claim to be God. The question is, is Jesus' claim to be true? Well, I want to read something to you about the mathematical probability, and I'm not going to read all of this. There's like 9 or 10 pages here. We won't go into the whole script. But a a professor at uh, University of Newcastle, David Williams... Um, put these numbers together, him and his class, he even sent it to other theologians and other mathematicians and had them run the numbers to see how close they were, and they were very conservative on their numbers even. And so this is, the, the first of these is, for example, what's the likelihood of a person predicting today the exact city in which the birth of a future leader would take place? Well into the 21st century. So like, we're at the beginning, so predicting that the next president of the United States would be born in Tuscaloosa in 2000, not the next president, but a future president would be born in 2092 in Tuscaloosa. What are the odds of that? I mean, that's kind of what he's saying. This is indeed what the prophet Micah did 700 years before the Messiah. Further, what is the likelihood of predicting the precise manner of death, that a new unknown religious leader would experience a thousand years from now. A manner of death presently known unknown and to remain unknown for hundreds of years. Yes, that is exactly what David did in 1000 BC. So as they put these numbers together, um, this is what we get. As they, as they sat down and figured it out, they, uh, let me get to the spot here. So concerning Micah 5.2 where it states the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathath. Stoner and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during the same period. They concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. Not very good odds. After examining only eight different prophecies, they they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power, or one with 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Eight of the prophecies. So if one was a convincing, eight should be. Oh, and they went further too. They uh, went well beyond that to... uh, Uh, doing 48 prophecies uh, which Edersheim says there's 456 at least. They arrived at the extremely conservative estimate that the probability of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one person is the incredible number of 10 followed by 157 zeros. I'll let you all write that out and figure that number out. That's a big number. I am Jesus said, I am. One in 300,000 chance that one man would fulfill, Micah 5, 2. I wonder what the chance would be today with over 7 billion people in the world. Eight prophecies, 10 with 17 zeros, 48, 10 with 157 zeros behind it. Jesus fulfilled way more prophecies than that. How can Jesus not be God? He was born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. He was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. You look in Matthew, she was, Mary was a virgin. He was beaten and bruised, or you could look in Luke for he was born of a virgin. He was beaten and bruised beyond recognition. Isaiah 53.1-6 is where the prophecy is at. His crucifixion, David talks of it in Psalm 22. They cast lots for his clothing during his crucifixion, Psalm 22.18. That's like five or six prophecies, but all were fulfilled by one man named Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, who claimed that before Abraham was born, I am. Is Jesus God the great I am? I say yes, he is. He himself said he was on more than one occasion. He even made claim by calling himself the son of God, which was itself a declaration of his Deity. Let's look at the statements. Let's look at the the, the I am statements of, of of John. Obviously, we're not going to turn to all of them, but John six thirty five. Jesus said, "I am the bread of life." Thought to be the first one. The second, I am the light of the world. In John eight twelve, John ten seven, I am the gate for the sheep. John ten eleven through fourteen, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John fifteen one through five. I am the true vine. I am. 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 In Mark chapter two, when he hears, heals the paralytic, he tells him to get up, pick up his mat, or he tells him that his sins are forgiven first. What does he say to the Pharisees? So that you will know that I have the power on earth to forgive sins. Take your mat, pick pick it up, and go home. He was making a claim to his deity. Let's look at I am between the Greek and the Hebrew. So in the Hebrew, it is a first person singular present active indicative verb. I know that means nothing to any of you, but here's the deal. For a verb in the Greek to be in the present means that the writer portrays an action in process or a state of being with no assessment of the action's completion. Meaning right now as the writer is writing this, this is happening and there is no sign of it ending anytime soon. There is no end in sight for it. The active means... That the subject is performing the verbal action or is in the state described by the verb. You see, if you look at it in the Old Testament, it's an imperfect first person singular verb. Both verbs are written as going on now with no assessment of completion. God was and is the ever present being. So what God says in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses, I am that I am, is exactly what Jesus is saying every time he says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the ever-present being in resurrection and life. I am the ever-present being as the good shepherd. I am the ever-present being as the light of the world. I am the ever-present being that is the bread of life. I am the ever-present being that's the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the ever-present being that is the true vine. And if you look to John 18, he even makes a claim to being the ever-present king. Both are one in the same. The God of the universe. The creator The Savior, the forgiver, the great I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. So let's look at the question in the back of your notes. Why does it matter? Why does it matter if Jesus is God? The I am. By the way, we've just linked the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's a huge thing. Because we live in a culture... When churches want to throw out the Old Testament and not live by it. We wouldn't have a Bible that we have today if it weren't for the Old Testament. Most, if not all of the New Testament, well actually all of the New Testament is based off of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is based off of the Old Testament. It has to because Jesus came to fulfill the law. The law was the Old Testament. Why does it matter if Jesus is God, the I am? If Jesus is not God, we are helpless, hopeless, and alone. We are buried, slaves of death and sin. Is this you this morning? Maybe you're at home, and you're struggling to work through something. Do you feel hopeless, helpless, and alone? Are you drowning in yourself and the sin that enslaves your body? Because all of us have a sin epidemic in our lives. Every single one of us. None of us escape sin. None of us escape its wrath and and the death that it brings. This world is full of evil and it's so easy to focus on, on what's going on in the world. I mean, it's the devil's domain and he will do everything possible to destroy your life. Whether it be through politics Whether it be through what's going on in our country, I mean, 20 some days of diesel fuel, that that speaks volumes when it comes to our faith. Because we can be mad at the guy in Washington, but you know what? There's a God greater than him. And there's a Savior that came to save us from our sin and to save us from this world. And He told us it wouldn't be easy, it was going to be difficult. Jesus being God is the only thing that saves us from the evil in this world. There can be no other savior that is not perfect. God's law given in the Old Testament demanded a perfect lamb without blemish for the atonement of sin. Jesus is this lamb of God. Isaiah 53 speaks of this. He has to be God because he is not God when he is not perfect and would not meet the demands of the law. It ties to us because God became flesh and dwelt among us. It was in this God flesh body that sin is done away with on the cross once for all. Jesus is the Lamb of God, spoken of in Isaiah 53. He has to be perfect. He has to be God Because that's the only way he could be perfect. The perfect lamb of sacrifice. Do you recognize this? Do you not just recognize it with your eyeballs because you read it and with your mind because you read it, but do you recognize it with your soul and your heart? Have you allowed it to really penetrate that the humanity of God, the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could have life? The I am. All of the healing that Jesus did was to prove a greater point. The raising of the dead, bringing people back to life on more than one occasion, served the same point, to show us that Jesus was and is the I am. The God of the universe, Jehovah. The same God that was in the Old Testament with all of the wrath that we saw is the same God of the New Testament and Jesus Christ with grace that offers you a chance to live life differently than through the sacrifice of an animal. Once and for all Jesus died, the perfect lamb of God in order for you to be saved. John 8:24 says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Here's the thing about this verse. He is not in the Greek But I am is. And it's the same translation of I am for every other translation in the New Testament that Jesus is speaking and says, I am. So the verse would read I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. Capitalize I, capitalize A, capitalize M. If you do not believe that I am the ever present one, the God of the universe, you will indeed die in your sins. It's not enough just to believe in God. The devil believes in God. Hello. Goodbye. <laughs> I don't know other than for flow why he was added. But I am makes perfect sense. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe. That inner, that inner being. The place where your emotions come from. That you are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Worship team, you guys go ahead and come back up. You must believe that Jesus is the I am. That he is the God of the universe in order to be saved. Guys, life is hard with Jesus as your Savior. I'm not going to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. Life is hard, plain and simple. But life is even harder without him because he offers peace and hope. Jesus frees us from the bondage of sin over our lives. The problem is we like to live in sin. We like to hang on to it and hold on to it and dwell in it and dwell on it. Even after we've committed sin and we've confessed it to God, we still roll back into what we did. We just, for some reason, cannot let go of the sin. But Jesus has freed us from all of that. There is no more bondage over sin if you will let Him control your life. Believe that Jesus is the I am. What fiery bush is God putting in your way to grab your attention? Maybe it's a loss of job, maybe it's the economy. I think, I think God's doing a lot to get our attention as the church right now with the economy. Are you going to trust in the elections or are you going to trust that I have a plan and put your faith and hope and trust in me rather than the elections? Because politics are totally against our values. Some of us put our, our, our faith in that or politicians that we can't stand. Maybe that's where your fiery bush is. Maybe it's financial difficulty because we're in hard times right now. Maybe it's a husband that won't change, or a wife that you can't stand, or vice versa. Maybe it's a drinking problem, or a drug problem, or some other kind of addiction problem. There's many of them out there. You just aren't admitting that there's a problem. Maybe it's an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe it's a broken heart because of a divorce what is the fiery bush that God is putting in front of you to grab your attention so that you will see him as the I am what sin is in your life that needs to be addressed quit thinking of someone else as you sit here and think oh this person has that oh yeah that person what about yourself what about you Who are you? What is causing you to push the I am away from your life? You need Jesus, the I am, to clean you up and pull you out of sin you love so much. A.W. Tozer said this in his book, he dwelt among us. Nobody wants to hear the remains of so-and-so will be at the lanes undertaking establishment. There is something in us that fights death to the bitter end. Our minds will not accept it. Everybody knows they are going to die, but they cannot believe they are going to die. Mentally, they cannot visualize it and will not surrender to it. All humanity harbors hopes of immortality and dreams of a life to come. Where did this dream come from? Why does it pervade all of humanity? Very simply, we have been created in the image of Christ. Very deep within our created soul is the echo of immortality. And all of this is summed up here in these two one-syllable words, He came which occupy only seven spaces on the line, and yet what he tells us here is more profound than all philosophy. You know, the funny thing is, we don't even like to die to ourselves and to sin. We hate death that much. We are called to a life of immortality. Adam and Eve were created to live a life of immortality, but they ate of the fruit. And cause sin to enter the world just as we sin. We continue to live lives for ourselves rather than trusting the one who created us to live for immortality. Let go of the sin and die to yourself today because Jesus is calling. The next song, the last song we have, is, is really a prayer. I would love for you all just to, just to sit here and, and and maybe close your eyes. And and just listen to the words and let, as as this group of, of students sings the words of this prayer, may it be a blessing over you today.